they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. <laughs> Go ahead, my love. You know what? I'm going to step out because of the men's conference. I'm going to let you do the Bible with the Barbers. I, I've, I've got a bunch of things i got to get covered, so thanks, Mary. Go. Welcome. Welcome to Love Bible you. with the Barbers yeah. on this Friday, June the 17th, 2022. This is, um, it's interesting, in the, in the church calendar, in the universal calendar, last Sunday was Trinity Sunday. So yesterday, the Thursday after Trinity Sunday, is the Feast of Corpus Christi. But in the United States of America, the Feast of Corpus Christi is transferred to the Sunday when Jesus appeared to St. Margaret Mary and revealed to her the devotion to the Sacred Heart and the desire that he longed for human beings to love him, to return to him love for love, the love that he had for us, that he wished us to love him in return, he asked that the Feast of the Sacred Heart be established on the Friday after Trinity Sunday. Uh, not Trinity Sunday, the Friday after Corpus Christi. So the Friday after Corpus Christi should be today because <laughs> Corpus Christi universally in the Catholic Church, it was yesterday because it's on the Thursday after Trinity Sunday. But it, it, Corpus, the Feast of the Sacred Heart will be delayed for us until next Friday because in the United States, the Feast of Corpus Christi is transferred to the Sunday. So our liturgical calendar is a little bit um, adjusted. So um, I, I was listening to a sermon by a priest who was um, preaching on Trinity Sunday, and he said, and this Friday will be the Feast of the Sacred Heart. And I thought, ah, Father knows that Thursday should be Corpus Christi and the Sacred Heart should be celebrated on Friday of this week, but it's going to be delayed for one more week. We'll, we'll celebrate the solemnity of the Sacred Heart next Friday. But we want to talk about whether or not Jesus is coming soon. He must be coming soon, right? The world is so evil. There's so much horrible things going on in the world. He's got to come. He's got to just take all the bad people out. So let's let's talk about that and see what maybe maybe um, are we thinking aright. We'll begin with a prayer. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now and at the hour of our death, amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now and at the hour of our death, amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ, our Lord, amen. 
And we ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, plenis uncelia et terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So is Jesus coming soon? Are we in the end times? Are we in the... Well, it's interesting. You know, I'm going through the Catechism of the Catholic Church with my Bible study, and, and the Church says that the, the third age of the world, the, the last... Um, since the ascension, God's plan has entered into its fulfillment. We are already in the last hour. Well, we've been in the last hour for 2,000 years. <laughs> so how long is this hour going to last? I don't know. But, but I do know, um, you know, a lot of people think that Jesus should come and take out all the bad guys and just bring the world to an end. And I, we have a very good priest friend of ours who likes to say, well, you know, if Jesus comes and takes out all the bad guys, who's going to be left? We're all in this together. We're all sinners. Jesus, God, does not desire that anyone should go to hell. Remember, God so loved the world that in the fullness of time he sent his only son that all who believe in him might not perish but might have eternal life. And that eternal life comes from our believing in Jesus Christ, giving up our sins, and following him very closely. Um, And so we want to acknowledge that we have to live in God's grace and in his love. So I looked in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. You know, the church ultimate, the church's ultimate trial, right? I mean, people think this has got to be the end. We got to be in the. Th- th- there must be something's going on in the world that is different than anything's gone on before. And, and you know, it, it, we're living in the times we're living in. By the way, God made us specifically to live in these times. God, eternity was before our time. God saw that all this would happen. He didn't see to change it. God made us, and He made us to live in a specific time. So he made us to live in these times to bring out his kingdom in these times. Are we praying for the coming of Christ? Are we longing for the coming of his kingdom? And if you read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it's, it's so beautiful um, talking about that reality and, and um, you know, praying for the coming of the kingdom of God. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So in paragraph 675, it says, Before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through the final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. And um, the reference they give there, of course, is Luke 18.8 and Matthew 24.12. And in those passages, you know, we have... um, the Lord is speaking about the end times. He's speaking about trials and persecution. In Matthew 24, you have the destruction of the temple foretold, the signs of Jesus' coming in the close of the age, the persecutions foretold, the desolation of sacrilege, the coming of the Son of Man, and all these things that, that are, you know, learn a lesson from the fig tree, the necessity for watchfulness, the faithful and unfaithful servant. Will we be faithful servants or are we going to be among those who just say, you know what, forget it. I'm going to throw in my towel and I'm just going to live as if this life is all we have and that's the end of it, you know? And, and so you, you, know, you have in Luke 18, you have the parable of the widow and the um, unjust judge, right? And it talks about um, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's in Luke 18, 8. Well, what is the work of faith? How do we preserve our faith? Prayer is the work of faith, and prayer helps faith to grow. 
And if we believe, we should pray. And if we pray, we will believe. And we have to increase that. When our faith is challenged, I remember my mother taught us as children. She said, if you ever think you're losing your faith, pray harder. And I did have in college, I had a a brief moment. And it didn't seem brief to me at the time. It was rather um, torturous. It was brief, though. I, uh, you know, in, in the overall scheme of things, I was taking a class on church history and every single day I would walk into the class and the professor would say, I'm not denying infallibility, but that was his opening statement of the class of the semester, other than saying that he wasn't qualified to teach the course, but they couldn't find anyone else. But after a couple of weeks of going to class and hearing this twice a week, I'm not denying infallibility, but I found myself, um, my attitudes, my internal attitudes were changing. They, there was not, there was no joy. There began to be this cynicism and this um, just bitterness and ugly, you know, yuck. Just the the world is not worth it. It's everything's worthless. It's all a, a big sham. It's, and and I was, I didn't understand. I was very confused. I'm like, Lord, why? What's going on? What what happened? Why? And, and I remember, I I got to the point where I. I went in to the chapel one day. There was a in the Jesuit re, uh, residence. There was a chapel that the students could access, and they had a a, a more than life size crucifix. It was a floor to ceiling crucifix. And I looked at our Lord on the cross, and I said, "Lord, you're losing me, and I don't even know why. You paid the price for me. It was your blood that was shed. What does it mean to you?" And I just, it was a, a desperation prayer. I just like, Lord, I don't understand what's going on, but I really believe that I'm losing my faith. I don't want to lose my faith, but help me, help me. And so um, within a day or two, I was walking back from a class with Father Fessio and I made some snide remark. And I don't remember, I do not remember what I said. I just made some really snide remark about the church defining infallibility when she did. And Father Fessio simply replied, oh, yes, Danelle, my middle name is Danelle, or Danielle, if you pronounce it properly. And Jesus Christ wasn't divine until the fourth century. At that moment, the lights came back on. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus Christ didn't become divine in the fourth century. It became necessary for the church to solemnly define that Jesus Christ was God, that he was divine in the fourth century because of the Arian heresy. It's not the church defining infallibility that makes it true. The church only had to wait until the 1800s to define infallibility because up until the 1500s in the Protestant Reformation, everybody accepted the infallibility of the church and especially the infallibility, the the, the particular charism of the infallibility of the Holy Father when he speaks on behalf of the whole church on matters of faith and morals. That's not to say he's incapable of sinning or that he knows everything about politics or history or science or anything else of this world, but in matters of faith and morals, he would not lead us astray. He would not solemnly define something that was contrary to what Jesus Christ had revealed. The church was given a sacred deposit of faith. It's hers to safeguard and pass on to each generation. It's not hers to change willy-nilly, but only when something in that deposit is challenged does it become necessary for her to solemnly define it. So we're talking about Jesus Christ and is he coming soon? And um, it has to do with faith and charity. So we're going to be speaking a lot about those things today. 
Don't go away. We'll be back with more on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June the 17th, 2022. Thank you for joining us. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers. Terry stepped out because he's getting ready tomorrow. We have the men's conference here. I hope you're coming. I hope everyone's signed up. And, and men, you can bring your wives. That's fine. They're welcome to come. This is a conference for men, but it's it's... It's helpful for men and women sometimes to be together at these conferences so that we begin to understand each other. G.K. Chesterton once said, you know, I've never known a compatible marriage in my life. There's nothing so incompatible as a man and a woman. They're just different. But I've known very many happy marriages because in their incompatibility, there are many couples who strive to work together to, you know, as a, as a partnership, to build a partnership in a family and to, to help each other grow and to help each other um, support one another in their weaknesses and their strengths, to support them to overcome their weaknesses and to support them to grow in their strengths. So um, many happy marriages, even though they're very incompatible. <laughs> so... So we want, the, the women are welcome to come. Your wives are welcome to come to the conference if they'd like to come with you. So we're talking about faith and, and is the Lord coming soon? Well, we have this reality of, of Jesus, um, you know, saying in Luke 18, verse 12, or excuse me, it's not verse 12, it's verse 8. I tell you, he will vindicate them speedily. Nevertheless, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find any faith on this earth? And that we're reading from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 675, which refers us in footnote number 574 to Luke 18, 8. And what is this work of faith? Well, prayer is the work of faith. And I was saying that my mother taught us when we were children that if you think you're losing your faith, pray harder. You need to pray harder. Don't walk away from prayer. Don't stop praying. Pray more. And I had that, that I'm just describing um, an experience I had in college and so when Father Fessio said to me, oh, yes, and Jesus Christ was not divine until the fourth century, I realized in that moment, in that actual moment, the lights came back on. And so then, but it was like, but what was Father, you know, what's being said in class? Well, it was, it had to do with the priest that was teaching this church history class, attacking the church defining infallibility. And that's what he was doing. He was attacking the idea of infallibility and the church solemnly defining it. Well, the next day for another class, um, uh, class on church and sacraments, and there was a book we were reading on church and sacraments. And in that book, a believing Jesuit wrote, and he, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, basically, if you accept the notion of the church as the mystical body of Christ, then it necessarily follows that the visible structure of the church, that is the Pope and the bishops and the priests, that visible structure of a hierarchical structure of the church, that you do have a pope at the head, a bishop who, you know, is in, who is over all the bishops, but nonetheless is working with all the bishops, and then the bishops and the priests, and each bishop in his own diocese, he's not the pope in his diocese, but he's there to pass on the sacred deposit of faith, which is what the pope is to do. But whenever, there's a, whenever in the beginning of the church there was a discussion between two bishops and they couldn't settle it, they would refer it to Rome go back and study the fathers. This is what many Protestant ministers who've come into the Catholic Church discovered, that 
that there was always this reference to the Bishop of Rome. Whenever there were two bishops who couldn't settle a disagreement, they would go to Rome. So there's a special charism for the Bishop of Rome. And, and so attacking that, and what the fathers of the church said about, you know, at the foot of the cross, Jesus's garment, remember the, they divide his cloak into four pieces and then they take the garment. That is the garment he wore against his skin. And they say, well, we can't divide it. Um, because the reason they couldn't divide it, it was woven from a single thread. So if you cut it, the whole thing would unravel. It was totally worthless. So they cast lots for his garments, which it fulfilled the scriptures, read Gospel of John. But what, what the fathers of the church said, you see, that seamless garment of Christ represents the faith. If you take one doctrine, one dogma, out of the, 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 the doctrines and dogmas of the faith and say, I don't believe this one, the whole thing begins to unravel. And so the fact that this, and that, you know, I didn't realize this that, that night, but the next day when I read this, this um, reading for church and sacraments class, and the priest said, if you accept the notion of the church as the mystical body of Christ, then we have to accept that visible structure of the Pope, the bishops, and the priests as the guardians of the faith and passing it on to the faithful. That's willed by God. That wasn't set up by men to put anybody down or to enslave anyone. That. They're not, they're not slave masters. The Pope and the bishops and the priests, they're, not, they're servants. They're servants of the people of God to give us the sacred deposit of faith. And so faith is that gift. It's that gift whereby we know that God is God and we are not. And we know him in his essence. That God exists is not an article of faith. That God exists is a self-evident truth. We can come to know that God exists by the use of our human reason. The pagans knew that there had to be a God. And if you go back and read Socrates, he knew that not only there was one God, that he was transcendent, that he was holy, he was good, he was beautiful, he was the source of all goodness, all beauty, all truth, and that in order to know him, we had to live a disciplined, virtuous life. Socrates got killed for preaching that in Athens. They didn't want to hear it. <laughs> they wanted to live in debauchery, kind of like the age we live in. We want to believe that our debauchery is, is the way we're going to find freedom and happiness, which is a lie. So faith is this work of believing God, what he has revealed. And we wouldn't know that God is a trinity of persons. We couldn't know that God is love. Well, how can he be love if he were a solitude unto himself and he existed all by himself? God, there's one God, but in God there are three divine persons, which we can only know through faith. And those three divine persons are in relation to one another. And it's, as John Paul II said, the original family, where there is fatherhood, there is sonship, and there's the essence of the family, which is love. The father speaks one word of perfect knowledge, which is his son, is so real that it's a, a person, and that's his son. And the son looks back at the father, and he loves the father, and their embrace of love is so real that it's a person. It's the Holy Spirit. So you have the father, son, and Holy Spirit in relation to one another, but it's only the coming of the, of the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Son of God, becoming the Son of Man, taking to himself a human nature, that we learn this and we, we can't know that God became, that God is Trinity and that he is love except through faith. We can't know that the son of God became man except through faith. 
But that faith is nurtured through prayer. And what is prayer but a loving conversation with one who loves us? If you want to believe that God exists, beg him for the gift of faith and speak to him as a loving father, as a loving brother who gave his life for you, as a loving spirit who wants to sanctify you and glorify you and share his glory with you. So this is faith. And so this whole incident that I had in college was based on the fact that that the professor, who was a priest, unfortunately, was attacking one of the doctrines of our faith, infallibility. And by attacking that, he was attacking the faith and he was chipping away at my faith. And God in his mercy restored that faith to me. But when I thought I was losing my faith, I didn't walk away from God by the grace of God. I prayed harder. I did what my mother had told me. I prayed harder and I begged God for an answer. I didn't understand what was going on. And so by God's grace, he spared me and he showed me what was happening. And so faith, will, when he comes, will he find any faith on this earth? Well, he, is he going to find anyone praying? Are we praying? We have to pray the more. The more we see evil in society, the more we see wickedness, we have to pray more. You know, during Nazi Germany, there were saints. There were men and women who opposed what the Nazis were doing, and many of them gave their life. There were people, Franz Jagenstatter, is that how you say his name? A Catholic, an Austrian Catholic who refused. He didn't refuse to serve in the army for... for um, for the Third Reich, he refused to carry a gun. He said, I will serve as a medic. Well, they, they said, no, you have to carry it. He said, no, I won't. I don't believe in the ideals of the Third Reich. The Third Reich is against humanity. It's against, it, it's wrong. It's not, yes, patriotism for my country, but not my country right or wrong. My country when it follows God's laws. And then there's the resistance of the White Rose, Sophie Skoll and her brother and other people who worked with them. And several of them were martyred because they were pointing out the evils that the Nazis were doing. They were pointing out that this is wrong, what they're doing. And they died. They shed their blood for this. So faith, are we praying? Pray the more. We're living in an age where faith is under attack. We're being lulled into a complacency where it says, you don't have time to pray. You know, you have to watch the news and you have to know what's going on. You have to be in the know and you, you have to know all the, the recent movie stars and movies and, and pop stars and singers and, and sports uh, figures. And no, you don't. We do not. We need to know Christ Jesus and his love for us. We need to pray. We need to pray all the more. And the church goes through a trial. Every age knows trial. The church has always gone through a trial. And, um, you know, there have been, is it 20 ecumenical councils in the church since the beginning <laughs> in 2,000 years? You have these ecumenical councils. And it's every, in every age, as, as people, people don't change, essentially their nature doesn't change. But the world, you know, comes up with new ideas or um, old ideas rehashed in a different way. So now in the 20th century, we have new technologies and um, new possibilities of actually doing immoral things in a way that it's never been done before. And so we think, oh, well, because it's all um, done under the guise of medicine and it's all very sterile and under medical practice, then it's all okay. 
know, just because man can do something doesn't mean it's morally right for him to do it. We have to follow the laws of God. They don't change. Jesus Christ doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the church is going through a trial, but is it the end of time? Well, it's interesting because, you know, before the end of time comes, there's going to be, um, according to St. Paul, all the Jews will be converted. So I haven't seen all the Jews being converted yet, so I don't think the end of time is imminent, although it may be imminent for some of us. Some of us may die today, this afternoon, this evening, tonight, tomorrow. That People die every day. And, and death is no respecter of age. It's no respecter of age. You know, pregnant women miscarry babies and lose children that they never got to carry full term. Uh, they carry babies full term and the baby dies at birth. Um, whatever, you know, little children die. Adults die. Adolescents die. Any age, people die at every age and every stage of life. We don't own anyone in this world and nobody belongs to us. We all belong to God. God, is, God made us for himself. God is love. And he made us to be in that loving relationship with him. And so that leads us to the second part of this where they, he quotes from Matthew and he says, oh, I hear the music. Oh, we'll have to talk about Matthew on the other side of this break. Thank you for joining us on this Friday, June the 17th, um, 2022. Thank you to all of our supporters, all of our listeners, and to all of those who pray for this work and support. Remember tomorrow's the men's conference here at the Sacred Heart Chapel in Covina. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June the 17th. And again, we're looking at paragraph 675, the church's ultimate trial in the Catechism of Catholic Church. We hope to get to 676 and 677, but we haven't even finished the first sentence of 675. And we talked about faith and what is faith and the work of faith is prayer. So keep praying. Don't give up prayer. No matter how dark it is, no matter how discouraged it is, pray trustingly. That's what the chaplet of mercy is all about. That's what the rosary is all about. The rosary is about meditating on the, the salvific works of God, using the words of God, hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Holy Mary, Mother of God. Yes, Elizabeth said, Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And yes, we can ask Mary to pray for us. God gave her to us to be our mother. We talked about that last week. Jesus on the cross gave Mary to us to be our mother. As a good son, as an obedient son, he took care of the needs of his mother by entrusting her to his disciple John, who represents all of us. He entrusted her to us as our mother. So we have Jesus, you know, the final trial, and it'll shake the faith of many believers. And we talked about that. What is the work of faith? Prayer. And then in Luke, and no, excuse me, in Matthew 24, 12, it says, and the wickedness is multiplied. And because wickedness is multiplied, most men's love will grow cold. Herein lies the danger. Our Lord has already warned us, hasn't he? When wickedness multiplies upon the earth, our love grows cold. 
it's interesting because I went ahead and looked up the fathers of the church and their commentary on this. And one of the things that one of the fathers of the church said about this was, as persons, as a person surrenders himself to iniquity, the flame of love will die in his heart. We have to resist sin in all of its forms. The Lord gives us the grace that we need to resist sin. And we need to ask him, even in the midst of a world that is darkened, a world that is telling us that the only pleasure you're ever going to have is the pleasure of the flesh that you have in the present moment and worries about the future because there is no future. And I remember when I was in Catholic high school, freshman year, and we had these seminars, we had these small group discussions. And one of the boys in, the, in one of our small group discussion, we were talking about death. And he said, when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. That's done. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you went through eight years of Catholic school and when you're dead, you're dead. What about the resurrection of the dead? <laughs> no, when you're dead, when you're dead, you will be judged. You know, the, la- the four last things, death, judgment, heaven and hell. Yeah, and heaven and hell are eternal. Your death comes, you are judged, and then heaven and hell. You're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. But it all depends on the choices that we make. And charity is a big part of that. And our charity will grow cold as long as we give ourselves over to sin. If you haven't been to confession in a while, go to confession today. As a matter of fact, here in, in Covina at Sacred Heart Parish, the big church, the, the regular parish on Workman, starting at 7.30 tonight until the last penitent, they will hear confessions. So line it up, people. They say they'll stay until the last penitent. So they're not going to close it down until everybody's gone to confession. So go, go to confession if you haven't been for a while. The church counsels that we go to confession at least, one, at least once a month. Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul II, was always talking about frequent confession, frequent confession. And somebody said, well, what do you mean frequent confession? And he said at least once a month, at least once a month. Many of the saints went every day. Because as we get closer and closer to God, we see our wickedness more clearly. We see our sinfulness more clearly. And we see how much we need God's grace to do. And, you know, we can't do any good on our own. It is only the grace of God that enables us to do any good in this world. It's, it's any good done in this world is done through the grace of God and through the help of the angel. We don't need the devil's help to do evil. Remember, we do have a wounded, fallen nature whereby it's real easy for us to do evil and we don't need anybody's help because we're inclined toward evil because we turned away from God by sin. So sin destroys charity in our hearts is what the fathers of the church said. So the love of many will grow cold. Now, it doesn't say the love of all, but the love of many. But beg God for that grace. Don't let my love grow cold. Stir me up. Inflame in my heart the fire of love. Give me your Holy Spirit. Perfect love within me. Beg God for these graces so that we're not among those whose love grow cold. And we need to strive. You know, God is God and we are not. And he is love and he deserves to be loved. St. Therese of Lezou prayed, My God, lend me your love with which to love you that you may be loved as you deserve. And then she was praying over, you know, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, love your neighbor as I have loved you. And she's like, wait a minute. I can't love my neighbor the way you love me because you love me first. You know, and in love of neighbor, usually I, you know, I, it's be, I love somebody because they love me. They're kind to me. And, and then I'm drawn to them. And, and so, but then she prayed and she said, well, Lord, wait a minute. You could lend me your heart. So then she prayed, Jesus, lend me your heart with which to love my neighbor that I may love my neighbor as you commanded. And I dare say, we need to ask Jesus 
to lend us his heart with which to love ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself, but do we love ourselves, Or do we tear ourselves down? So we need to work at love. And one of the works of love is almsgiving. It's giving to the poor. It's seeing our neighbor in need and serving them. So we need to do this. We need to work at love. We need to work at charity. And this is the, the final trials will be that loss. The, the church will go through that period where people will lose their faith and, and people will lose their charity. But beg God for the, for, as Terry loves to say, ask God for more faith every day. And I add, ask God for more faith, hope, and love every day. And ask him to increase part of the virtue of hope is trust, is that perfect trust. Because oftentimes what happens is we've been betrayed and we don't trust him. Oh, yeah, we hope in God. We hope we're going to get to heaven. But it's like, oh, but you know what? He couldn't do anything for me. I'm such a, we don't trust him. So ask for the grace to trust him, to trust him. So this paragraph, paragraph 675, and I do encourage you to look up the footnotes they're, it's very scriptural, and they have a lot of scriptural footnotes here, and we can't go through them all. This is just the first sentence, and we only got through two, two scriptural passages. So it goes on. The persecution that accompanies her pilgrimage on earth will unveil the mystery of iniquity in the form of a religious deception offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of of apostasy from the truth. Did you hear that? An apparent solution to the problems of men at the price of apostasy from the truth. The supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist, a pseudo-messianism by which man glorifies himself in place of God and of his Messiah come in the flesh. And I oftentimes say, well, people who say, well, well, that's what Vatican II did. Look at the Mass of Vatican II. And it's, I have looked at the Mass of Vatican II. You see, the vast Mass of Vatican II, the Second Vatican Council document, Sacrosanctum Concilium, never mandated that the altars be turned around or that the priest offer the Mass facing the people. As a matter of fact, the rubrics of the Mass still say, and the priest turning to the people says, the Lord be with you. So the rubrics are written as if the priest and the people are all facing God. The mass is, we, the church never lost the reality that the mass is a sacrifice. It's the sacrifice. It's the paschal mystery. And Jesus Christ is the priest, the lamb, and the altar of sacrifice. Read Sacrosanctum Concilium. It is Christ who offers. It is Christ who is offered. And he's offering himself on behalf of the church. And he offers himself through the priest, through the actions of the priest, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is all clear in the Vatican Council II document. And, and the church didn't do away with Latin at Vatican II. It allowed for an appropriate place in the vernacular. And by the way, the Latin rite, yes, it's the largest rite in the church, but it's not the only rite in the church. And the other rites of the church, the other 20 rites or 22 rites of the church, use the vernacular in their liturgy. But, but it allowed for an appropriate place for the vernacular, not that the whole mass would be offered in, in the vernacular. But it didn't give us a new liturgy that was different from the liturgy we had always celebrated. No, what happened was there were many people who, who made it look like Vatican II gave us a new liturgy by disobeying the rubrics that are written in the, the, the Roman Missal, okay? And John Paul II addressed this, and he addressed many of the liturgical abuses that are going on and said they need to stop. 
and people didn't listen because there were those who wanted people to believe that, well, we're really there at mass to be there with one another and to be in fellowship and fuzzy, warm fellow. And it's about looking at each other and no, it's not. Read the first three pages of Sacrosanctum Concilium. The Mass, there's only one Mass. It's the Mass that Jesus Christ offered. It's the Paschal Mystery of Jesus Christ, wherein he offered himself once for all in a bloody matter on Calvary. Calvary is, only once did he die. He, and in the mystery, in heaven, He still bears his scars. In his risen, ascended, glorified state, the Lamb of God still bears his scars. So the church prays in one of the prefaces for Easter, and this is a paraphrase, but the victim who immolated himself is now no longer dying. Jesus Christ is glorified in heaven, but he offers for all eternity that act of immolated love. Do we meditate on that at mass? The victim who immolated himself is now no longer dying. Jesus doesn't continue to die on the cross. He died. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He's now glorified at his father's right hand, but he still bears his scars in heaven. And the the lamb is still offering himself to the father on behalf of sinners. The victim who immolated himself offers for all eternity that act of immolated love. From the beginning of time to the end, yes, the Father sees Jesus crucified on Calvary, but he also sees him at the same time risen and ascended and glorified in heaven. And it is the ascended, the risen, ascended, glorified Christ who offers the Mass in and through the priest by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not a pseudo-religion, and we're not there to worship each other or worship man. I hear the music again. (laughs) Time just goes too fast. I must be having a good time. I hope you are too, and I hope you're learning a lot about your scriptures and about how to read them properly. Look up the footnotes on this paragraph, and don't go away. We're not finished yet. Thank you for joining us on Bible of the Bible. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June 17th, 2022. Again, I want to thank all of our benefactors, all of those who pick up, all of the little radio stations that pick up our signal, and um, all of those of you who have the app, those who listen on Virgin Most Powerful Radio uh, through the computer or on Facebook or Rumble. And please pass the word on. Let people know. Let people know there's a Bible study here. There's a free Bible study, Catholic Bible study. Um, I have a Bible study going on on the chapel on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Now, this coming Tuesday will be our last Tuesday for this summer. I'm going to go ahead and take a summer break. um, And so we'll start up again in September. So the Tuesday night Bible studies will take a break. This coming Tuesday will be my last Tuesday night Bible study for this summer. And then we'll start again in September. But I will continue to do Bible with the Barbers on Fridays here on the radio. So the Bible study doesn't end. We're still going to study our Bible. And there's so much to learn. And, and I remember, you know, Father Glenn Botton, our pastor here at Our Lady of Grace Parish here at Sacred Heart Chapel. He, he mentioned that even as a Protestant, he was using the Catechism of the Catholic Church to prepare his sermons <laughs> for his congregation because they're so scriptural. So look at the footnotes, read these paragraphs. Today we're looking at paragraph 675, and we looked at 675, and now 676. 
And just the reality, you know, people want to know, is the end of the world coming? There's so much evil out there. When evil abounds, we have to pray the more. We have to every day ask God for more faith, more hope, more charity, and, and be more sincere about going to confession and doing our spiritual exercises. It's spiritual exercise. We are supposed to exercise our souls in, in the works of God. So we have to fill our minds and hearts with the things of God. We can look, you know, we can watch all these videos that are out there on YouTube, but we can watch them all day long and, and be terrified about the end of times is coming or all these evil people, they're planning this and that and the other thing. You know, it's like Teresa of Avila. She said in her time, she said, oh, people are running around saying, oh, the devil, the devil, I'm so scared of the devil. She said, scared of the devil? All you have to do is say, God. And the devil trembles. Sprinkle a little holy water and he has to run away. Make the sign of the cross. He can't stand it. Say the holy name of Jesus, the holy name of Mary. He doesn't like those things. He doesn't come around. You know, use your sacramentals. Stay in the state of grace. Go to confession. There's confessions at Sacred Heart Church, the big church on Workman, tonight at 7.30 until the last penitent. So go to confession. Go find out at your local parish when they're when they're hearing confessions um, at Our Lady of Grace here. Father tries to get here at four o'clock on Saturday. We have a five p.m. vigil mass on Saturday, and he tries to get here at four to hear confessions. And then before Sunday morning mass, the first mass is at seven thirty. So before the set, you know, from about six forty-five to seven fifteen, he tries to hear confessions. And then sometimes even between the seven thirty mass and the nine a.m. mass, he hears confessions. So find a way. Ask a priest to hear your confession if it's been a long time. If you're in the state of mortal sin, as we heard Tim Marie um, McMullen, uh, I think it's McMullen, she was on, she's on Relevant Radio, trending, and she said, if you're in the state of mortal sin, go to confession now. <laughs> Don't wait. Go now. But, but this, because we need God's grace. We want charity to be alive in our heart. And in order for charity to be alive in our heart, we have to have his grace. We want faith to be alive in our heart. And prayer is the work of faith. So, pray. And as we pray, God will, you know, Lord, I believe in you. Increase thou my faith. So there are going to be trials and tribulations. When is the exact world end of the world coming? I don't know. You know, I, this is the last, we entered the last age, as I read to you in the beginning, um, from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 670, we entered the last hour at the time of the ascension. <laughs> we Oh, the last hour. So far, it's been 2,000 years long. But, but the first, remember, the first, the first part of the, you know, the first part was how many thousand years from the creation of Adam until the birth of Christ. So then we have from the birth of Christ until the end of the world. We don't know when the end of the world is coming, but we do know that each one of us, the end of the world will come for us at the moment of our death. And we don't know when that's going to come. And death is no respecter of age, and it's no respecter of um, fight, uh financial status or social status, you know, all of us are going to have to face death. Every one of us. There's nobody in this world who's going to get out alive. We're all going to die. And all the people who have lots of money who think they're controlling the world and that they can make themselves live forever on this earth. No, that's not what we're here for. Remember, this is part of the deception of the Antichrist. The Antichrist deception already begins to take shape in the world every time the claim is made to realize Within history, the messianic hope, which can only be realized beyond history through the eschatological judgment. Our hope, our desire for eternal life is not fulfilled by living forever here on this earth. 
We were made by God for union with God. We weren't made for degradation and we weren't made for mediocrity. We were made for greatness. We were made to live in union with God in time and for all eternity. But in order to get into eternity, we have to die on this earth. So we follow Christ in his passion. We're not here to have a permanent paradise here on this earth. We're not looking for a permanent paradise here on this earth. We're looking for union with God in heaven. And Christ suffered. Christ is our head. The members of the body go where the head goes. We are members of his body. Do we accept the notion as the church is the mystical body of Christ? Well, Christ suffered. If he suffered, is his church going to get out of it without suffering? No. And the members of his church will suffer. According to God's will and according to the, the, you know, the duties of our state in life, according to what God has planned for each one of us, we don't know. We just ask God daily for the grace, for the grace to be true and to be faithful and to be persevering, the grace of final perseverance, but to persevere in faith, hope, and charity and have the grace of final penitence, final repentance for our sin. Okay, The church has rejected even modified forms of the falsification of the kingdom to come under the name of millennialism, especially the intrinsically perverse political form of secular millennialism. We are not looking for our salvation in politics. No politician is our savior. There is no politician, no matter how good he is, who's going to be our savior. Even the kings of this earth who have been saints were not the savior. Jesus Christ is our only savior. We follow Jesus Christ and we follow him crucified. And there are kings and rulers who were saints. There were holy men and women who followed Christ in his suffering and gave their lives to serve the poor and to build the kingdom of God here on earth. And this is what we're supposed to do. And we're not looking for a false hope of an eternity here on this earth. That's a false hope. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for union, in God, union with God in heaven. The church will enter the glory of the kingdom only through the final Passover when she will follow her Lord in his death and resurrection. Where the head has gone, the members will go. Do we accept the notion of the church as the mystical body of Christ? Then we are members of his body and we will go where the head has gone to Calvary. We have to follow him to Calvary. The kingdom will be fulfilled then, not by a historic triumph of the church through a progressive ascendancy, ascendancy, but only by God's victory over the final unleashing of evil. It will be God's victory over evil. Remember, Jesus Christ definitively defeated Satan. But we still live in this veil of tears where we have to fight the world, the flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have to fight them. And we beg God for the victory because Christ has won the victory for us. Remember, Lord Jesus, you paid the price for us. It was your blood that was shed. Please don't let that be lost on us. Redeem us, Lord. Bring us back to you. Pull us out of the the swamp that we live in where we think that we're going to find some kind of eternal happiness in this world, or we're going to establish your kingdom on this earth and that everybody's just going to live in peace and harmony with one another. 
Please, God, that we will live in peace with others, that each one of us individually will commit ourselves to you, Lord, and that by so doing, we will do our part in allowing you to build your kingdom in and through us. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We pray, we beg God for the coming of his kingdom. We pray for the second coming of Christ. We ask God to glorify himself in us, to glorify himself in us, that we may glorify him for all eternity. He wants to share his glory with us. He wants to share his glory. God's triumph over the revolt of evil will take the form of the last judgment. Will take the form of the last judgment after the final cosmic upheaval of this passing world. The world as we know it is passing away. Remember that? The world as we know it is passing away. We have here no lasting city. Our homeland is in heaven with God, with the saints, with the angels, to praise God for all eternity. We're not here to live an everlasting happiness on this earth. So we want to ask God for more faith, hope, and charity every day. Prayer is the work of faith. We need to pray harder. Mortification is the work of hope. If we hope in heaven, if we hope for something better, we can give up the things of this world. So we beg God to stir up hope within us, to give us that hope that is firmly rooted in his promises and that he is true to his promises, and he will give us what he has taught us to hope for. He will give us what he's taught us to pray for. Union with himself. And that begins here on this earth. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. The saints in transforming union on earth already began to experience that. They began to taste the delights of heaven. We taste the delights of heaven when we receive Jesus in the Eucharist. We should be spending more time with him after we receive him in Holy Communion. We really need, we, we have to overcome our flesh and we have to overcome the world and the devil. And a priest, Father William, in one of his CD sets, I believe it was Scaling the Heights of Hope, said our devotion to Jesus in the Eucharist will be the final victory over our flesh. So when you receive Jesus in Holy Communion, spend more time in thanksgiving and adoration. Give your life to him. Give your life and your whole being to him and all your sins and say, Jesus, glorify yourself in me. Transform me into a living image of yourself. Glorify yourself in my weakness and help me to trust you. Grant me the grace of final perseverance and keep me faithful. Thank you for joining us on this Bible with the Barbers on June 17, 2022. Hope to see many of you tomorrow at the men's conference here at the chapel. But let's pray for one another. Thank you for your support of our mission here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, spreading the gospel and the love of God. And thank you to all of those of you who offer your sufferings and your prayers for us. God willing, we'll be back next week with Bible with the Barber. Tell your friends and family to join this Bible study.